0: Well, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning. Got up this morning getting ready. I'm in the bathroom, and my wife comes up, and she's like, what are you doing to your face? I said, well, um, I'm, I'm waxing my mustache. She said, why on earth would you ever do that? I said, well, you know, it's, it's the men's conference. You know, I got to do it for, like there's some rule that you got to wax your mustache for the men's conference. It's a pretty lame excuse. I knew that. She did too, but I knew I knew that like she was just like let me know that I mean that she loves me. It wasn't really that she said she loved me. It was kind of more the look on her face. Well, it wasn't really even the look on her face. The look on her face was that I was a doofus. But but you know when you've been with a woman for like 35 years, you just you 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 learn how to you, you know them. And so just looking in her eyes, I just knew I'm going to be shaving my beard tonight. So. Um, because happy wife, happy life, right? And so, um, but right now it's going to fly free in the air like the American flag. And so we'll, uh, we'll get started. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for all your many blessings. You're a great and a mighty God. We gather as your sons. Speak to us. We need you. Dear Lord God, do not let us walk out of this building the way we've come in. Let us be more on fire for you. Let us be completely surrendered to you. Let us be transformed by your presence, by your Spirit, and by your Word. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. The uh, portion of Scripture that I have been given is Ephesians chapter five, verse ten. Um, let's read it, shall we? It says, "And find out what pleases the Lord." I know what you're thinking. How is he going to cover that entire text in one message? Um, Obviously, I'm not going to be able to deal with it exhaustively, but we're going to try to go after it hermeneutically. Hermeneutics is is the science of being able to study a passage. It's to be able to extrapolate out of it the information that's necessary that we might have knowledge, that we might have understanding, and that we might have wisdom. We do that through three processes. Observation, interpretation, and application. We're going to ask three questions and hopefully we're going to answer them we're going to answer the what why and how of scripture what does it say why did god say it and how do we live it so let's take on the first question it says what does the text say well in looking at this text i'm going to look at it through several different translations the new king james says finding out what is acceptable to the lord The NIV, for those of you who have NIV, use the nearly inspired version. It says, and find out what pleases the Lord. The ESV, based on the minority text, it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then the NASB, it's what I cut my teeth on. Uh, it was the Bible in the late 70s, early 80s. It says, and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, in reading through these, diff- these four different translations, we'd get the impression that what this text is talking about is some kind of an intellectual understanding of what is right with God. And I don't know that that's doing this text justice. It's not until you go to, say, like the Young's Literal Translation or you go back to the old King's James that you 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 Come across a different translation. It says, proving, not learning, not finding out, proving what is the well-pleasing or the acceptable will of God. And there it says of the Lord, of kurios. And so, in fact, in the, in the Greek, it's really it's just six words. Dokibanzontes, which means to prove, ti, what estin is, you areston, which means, to prove. Which means a on means pleasing, you arreston means well-pleasing, to means to, and curio means the Lord. And we need to remember that when it says the, the kurios, the Lord, it means the boss of you. Remember when you used to use that phrase when you are little? It's like, you're not the boss of me. Well, yeah, I'm the boss of you. Well, you're not the boss of you. Well, mom's the boss of you. Well, dad's the boss of mom. Well, God's the boss of dad. Basically, when we were little, what we didn't understand is we were going through a theological process. And we came to the right conclusion. God is the boss of us, and we need to know what is well-pleasing to our boss, to our Lord. And so, the the key word here is dokimazo. Dokimazo, here is translated to prove. It means to scrutinize, to test, to examine, to discern, to uh, um, approve and approve. And um, I think to really understand the word best, um, it, would be, it would be well to look at the origins of the word. Back in biblical times, coin, they, they didn't have paper money, they used coins, and coins were all made the same. You would melt down a precious metal like silver or gold, you would pour it into a mold, And after they had cooled, you would pull the coin out of the mold and you would trim off the flashing until it made a certain weight. You see, the the coinage was an actual weight. Like we would use the term ounces or grams. They would use the term shekel. A shekel was a unit of weight. Um, A talent was a bar weight. A denarii was a day's wage, which was a fourth of a shekel. It was an actual weight. And so they would shave it down until it was the right weight. Now, because this was a pretty easy and easy way to make money, it was also an easy way to counterfeit. And so what would happen is that there would people who were greedy would shave the coin. And they would shave off some of the precious metal of the coin, not so much that you could tell when it was in the palm of your hand, and then they would give out this insufficient coin, and they would pocket the rest of the silver or the gold. Others would go beyond that, and they would maybe take a shim and place the shim and then coat it with silver or coat it with gold so that there was something that wasn't as valuable on the inside. Or they would amalgamate and they would cut the silver or cut the gold with other metals um, so that they were not pure. And this is how that they would counterfeit. Now there was a certain group of individuals that would test and approve monies. And what they would do is they would take coins and they would weigh them against a standard of a shekel to make sure that they were of the right weight. They may do chemical analysis on the coin to make sure that it was of pure quality. They may even take a batch of coins and drive an awl through the coin, piercing it, to make sure that there wasn't a shim inside the coins. These men who had this task were called dokimas. And when they would issue a coin, it was dokimazzo it was approved. It was proved. It's not just the idea that this is like a a mental idea. There was actually a test done. Like we would consider the idea of proving something like a car or a bridge or a building, and that's where you place it under pressure, under the stresses, maybe even more stress um, than what its standard uses. And we prove it to make sure that it's going to be able to service the way it was designed and intended. That's the idea of this word. It's not just the idea of mental assent. It's the idea of proving with our lives. Now, that's the word. But to understand if that's the way it should be applied, here we should look at the context. Um, Joseph Gross already gave us verse 8, and it said that we should um, not think as children of light. We should walk as children of light. And verse 11 it's, it's, it's the verse right after this one, it's going to say, do not participate. It does not, doesn't say, do not think about unfruitful deeds. It says, do not participate in them. And if we jump down to verse 15, it starts with therefore, which means it's referring up to the text we're in right now. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk. It doesn't say, be careful how you think. It says, be careful how you walk. There is a verb idea here. There is an action there is a tangible, real, practical expression of this idea. It's not, I mean, yes, dokimatsu includes this idea that we need to understand the word, but dokimatsu means more than that. It means we need to understand it, and then we need to do it. That's within the immediate context. Within the context of the, of, of the New Testament, this is a theme. This is one of the meta-themes of the Scripture, is the idea that we should walk in a manner that is worthy. The Apostle John said, the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. The Apostle Peter in 2, or 1 Peter said, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, which inspired Sheldon to write his book. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. In fact, Jesus is the one that stresses this theme more than anyone else. Over 19 times within the Gospels, Jesus doesn't say, think about me. He doesn't say, understand me. He says, follow me. Follow me. In fact, the early church, it wasn't called the belief. The early church wasn't called the theology. Amen. We see that in Festus and Felix, both in the book of Acts, said that the early church was called the way, the road, the path. And of course, we know where they got it from. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, No one approaches the Father lest they, unless they understand me. He says, They must go, go through me. I'm the road, I'm the life. I'm the pattern. So we see that this is replete through the text. In fact, um, there's a parallel text that shows how dokimatsu is two different concepts. Romans twelve two it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may dokimazo, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and true, that which is you arrest on acceptable." and pleasing, and that which is perfect. We are supposed to be a living 3D example of what Jesus is. We're supposed to be an expression of who Jesus is. I believe that this means we are different, therefore we must act different. Christianity is not just a belief, it's a behavior. It's not just a doctrine, it's something that we do. We can't just have orthodoxy, which means straight thinking. We have to have orthopraxy, straight living. If you will, dokimatsu is almost like the motto of Christianity. It means to know truth and to live truth. It's like this clarion call reminds me of, you uh, remember in the movie Braveheart, right before the Battle of Sterling, we were just looking at this in one of the classes, right before the Battle of Sterling, um, William Wallace comes out and he gives this great this great speech, because everybody's getting ready to run away, and he, he gets them all going, but he seals it, and he gets them all to lock in by this great motto of Scotland, he says, Alba Gubra, and they all scream, Alba Gubra, and he says it again, Alba Gubra, and they're all screaming, and you can just feel, even in the movie, just this testosterone and adrenaline dump. And then it's like, we're in. We'll we'll bleed, we'll die. And really, I think for the Christian, it should be dokimazzo. Know it, live it. Know truth, live truth. Dokimazzo. All in. Not just lip service, life service. So that's, what does it say? It says, let us prove what is approved to, to our Lord. But now the next question that we want to answer is, why did God say it? Why does he call us to do this? Why does he call us to live it? Well, Matthew 5, Jesus pretty much explains it. He says, um, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it under a bucket, but they set it up upon a stand that it might give light to all who were in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before men in such a way That they may understand what you believe? No, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The idea here is is that what we have to do is not just speak the truth. Words are cheap. We have to live it in three dimensions, in living color that all might see it. Christianity is not just a theology. It is a way of living that screams that God exists and that he's very different from the world. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads unto destruction, and many are those who are into it. But narrow is the gate and straight. Derek is the way that leads unto righteousness, and few are those who find it. This text is more applicable to us now than I think at any other time. We live in what's called the information age. In fact, it's to the point where information is cheap. What used to be a treasure, knowledge and information, now just Google it. We're inundated with information. We're saturated with information. We're trying to figure out how to filter out information. And so the challenge to us is how do we grab and seize the attention of a world that is continuously being begged for its attention? Well, it's not that we speak louder. We live Jesus. We have to live a life that's absolutely unignorable. We have to live in a way that they must hear. But as, um, as Victor was saying, that's supernatural. That's not something that we can do in the natural. Not at all. In fact, in Hosea, by the way, if there's any of you guys out there Um, every now and then you'll find somebody like this and go, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. (laughs) Well, repent, because the Bible from Genesis through Revelation is about Jesus. So this idea that I'm a New Testament Christian, it's like, well, then you're missing like two-thirds of the gospel that's been placed in the Old Testament. So in the book of Hosea, when you get back in Hosea, Hosea is the gospel. It's an awesome book of the gospel. And the last chapter is honestly a formula for an altar call. It's perfect. It's about having to return to God and having to listen to him and having to confess our sins and to be repentant so that he might forgive us and show us mercy and grace that we might be sanctified ultimately to be a witness. It's all in one chapter in Hosea. And the very last verse of Hosea is pretty interesting because what it says is it says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things I just told you about how to repent and get saved. Whoever has discernment Let him know these things. For the way, the road, the path of the Lord is right, and the righteous will walk in it, but the wicked will stumble in these ways. And the word there in the Hebrew for stumble is an interesting word. It's not stumble, it's that the ways of the Lord will overthrow the wicked. The ways of the Lord will crush the wicked, or if you will, the ways of the Lord will expose the wicked. The wicked cannot walk in the ways of the Lord. You see, there's something about dokimatsu, about living the word of God, that makes it an irrefutable proof of the existence of God. The reason he calls us to do this, the reason he calls us to live this way is that the world may see Jesus right. by looking at you, looking at me. But it's not just... Now, that, that's enough reason there. But there's a scarier reason. It's not just that we should prove our faith to the world, but it's that we should prove our faith to ourselves. Right. We've got to know it. Um... If all hell's breaking loose in our life we have to to wonder are we being overthrown by the ways of God if in our and if in our search to follow after Jesus Christ we are failing miserably we have to wonder did I really repent did I really have transaction with God and, um, well, I'll give you an example. Is, you know, see, maybe you've had a conversation like this. I've had a conversation like this. You're, you're meeting with a brother, and they say something like this. Dude, the spiritual warfare has been intense. Really, what's going on? Well, you know, my old lady threw me out. Oh, you mean the woman you're living with? Yeah. Well, why should she throw you out? Well, she caught me partying with this other chick. We were drinking and smoking. I mean, we, we didn't, like, have sex or nothing, but, so, but she got upset, and so she she turned me into my parole officer and so now I gotta wear the ankle bracelet again And because of that of course I lost the job at the daycare and um, since I don't kinda get a check I wasn't able to pay my alimony to my you know my second ex and so it's like the eighth time this year so she gets a lawyer after me and now they got a warrant out for my arrest and it's just like everything all hell's breaking loose and I'm wondering do you think this is because I started going to midweek service And you're thinking like, well, you know, I'm not a prophet, but no, I think it's because you're an idiot. (laughs) But we do this all the time. Something happens in our life and we go, oh, this must be God. This must be the devil. The devil's shooting at me. Well, of course the devil's shooting at you. That's his job. But you know, you make it kind of easy when you're like dancing naked up on the mesa with a target on your back. There comes a time when we should live a life that's resilient, that is holy, that is righteous. If all hell... There's a verse, and it's such a simple verse. It's a great man verse. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. If all hell is breaking loose in your life, maybe you're planting hell seeds. If you want righteousness and holiness and goodness and power and truth to be manifested in your life, if you want to be one who leads people, then you need to plant seeds of righteousness and holiness. We have to do the do's of the scripture. We're not saved by works. I'm not saying that ever. We're saved by grace through faith. But the saved do work. It is the obvious outpouring. It's the obvious fruit of what has been placed within us. We must bear forth the fruit. We must dokimazo, live what we believe. A theoretical faith isn't going to sustain you. So this, let's say this person, and I know that was an exaggeration, but honestly in this town, just a little bit, uh, that conversation... <laughs> Um, but if that person doesn't repent and they go this way, they're going to be the person that you've met that says, oh, Christianity, yeah, I tried it. It doesn't work. Really? What part of following the king of kings and the prince of peace didn't work? Well, it wasn't that they followed. It's that they had responded to an altar call. They did all the free parts. They did all the easy parts. They took the free stuff, but then they wouldn't live the life. And because they didn't live the life, there was no proof or evidence of the power of God within their life. And so then they make the assumption that God is inadequate, that God failed them. God doesn't fail us. God never fails us. If something's failing, it's us. And if we're not living this, then we lack the proof of our own faith. And the idea is that we're supposed to live a life that's completely unignorable but we're not just supposed to live it for a short period of time. And gentlemen, this is this is happening every stinking week. It's not how you start it's how you finish. Everybody starts white hot and zealous. But when you flake down the road, God is blasphemed because of us. We must not flake. And we will not stand without a supernatural impartation of God within us. And that happens by obeying. It's not mystical. It's just obedience. We long to bless our children. But if our children are in rebellion to us, it stops the blessing. I can't bless my child when he's in rebellion, or I would be... A bad dad, right? We can't do that. Neither can God. If we're in disobedience, the power stops because he's a good dad and he would lead us unto righteousness. We've got to live it through the end. So what does the text say? It says dokimatsu. You need to know it and you need to live it. Why does he say it? Because It is through living the truth of God that the world can hear the gospel. And it's through living the truth of God that we know the gospel to our bones. So then the last part, last question. How do I live it? How do I live this gospel? Well, Joseph told us um, in verse 8, that we're, We are now children of light, which means we have a new identity. We have to let go of the old identity. This hearkens unto uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Or all things have become new. There's this idea that we have a new identity in Christ. and I see heads nodding, and we say amen, and I've preached this text. Only to find out I'm not living it. In some area of my life yeah maybe I live it on my Sunday morning life but there's some area in my life where I'm not living this I'm not living under this new identity as the new creation of God there's some area in my life where there is a pocket of resistance where there's a pocket of of rebellion and I'm not talking about years ago I'm talking about like last month where I found this out is I found out that I was the victim of my own lie now in the school we teach logic and so I always look at logic and look at different types of fallacies and I realized I'm the victim of something called the genetic fallacy the genetic fallacy is a fallacy of irrelevance and this is the way it works I come to a conclusion based solely on my origin without any consideration of my current situation let me repeat that a genetic fallacy is an irrelevant fallacy I come to a conclusion based solely upon my origin, without any consideration of my current condition. That's a genetic fallacy. And it goes like this. It starts like this. I can't. That's the fallacy part. Why can't I? Because I was born this way. You've got to understand who I am. I'm a Gibson, and this is the way Gibsons are. I was born this way. Okay, so one of the pockets, the one that came up kind of recently is through the course of my life um, I've been told that I'm not a nice person, that I'm not a good friend. And I've heard that a lot, right? Kind of like, Sean, you know, you're a jerk, right? And of course, my thought is like, well, that's because I was, that's the way I was born. I'm just not, I'm not one of those touchy-feely emo guys. I'm more of a task-oriented person. I was born a task-oriented person. Sorry if I didn't, you know, say hello to you. I'm just, I'm, I wasn't born that way. And I was having this conversation yet again with somebody uh, just a a couple of weeks ago who was explaining to me how I'm not a nice person, I'm a jerk. And I'm like, I immediately go back into my genetic fallacy. Well, you've got to understand, this is the way I was born. I'm more of a task-oriented person, you see. I was born this way. And God kind of thunked me on the back of the head. He goes, wow, that's what the homosexuals say. That's what the transgender people say, isn't it? And I'm like, hey, God, don't be lumping me in with a bunch of others. And he said, well, that's what you said. And so then instead of like me like kind of coming to my senses, I thought, well, maybe it's right. Maybe we're all born this way. And then God gave me an epiphany. Oh, wait a minute. I was born a maniacal, egotistical, perverted, backstabbing, pathological liar. And so were you. Now you might be thinking, no, wait a minute there. Baldy. That may be you, and of course we now know that was Joseph. Gross, but um, But I think that might be a little bit harsh for me personally. Did I mention delusional? We were born delusional. What does that mean? It means that we continue to believe something in spite of overwhelming, irrefutable evidence. To the contrary, we were born delusional and maniacal, which means angry and mean, and egotistical, which means selfish and self-centered, and perverted, which means lustful and pursuing the desires of our own flesh. And backstabbing, which means that when the chips are down, we throw somebody else under the bus to save our skin. And ultimately, a pathological liar, which means we lie in spite of knowing that we're not supposed to lie. So, yes, this is the way. We were all born. It's no longer an excuse. Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, you got a verse to go with that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yes. Um, In the Psalms, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in an iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Paul said in Romans, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah, it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The psalmist says that, that, um, Jeremiah says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can even know it? And the psalmist says, There's no one who seeks after God. No, not one. Paul said that there is nothing good that dwells in me. And who shall save me from the body of this death? In fact, this is another one of those meta narratives that we are born wicked. And um, so, if we're born wicked, and God's telling us to live righteous, how's that supposed to happen? I mean, we're born. If we're born this jacked up, how can God say be holy? It's real simple. It's a word, it's called repent. So this is the way it kind of came to me. It's like, God, why did you call me to be a pastor? I don't like people. He goes, I know, repent. But God, you know I'm not a nice person, I know, repent. Maybe your thing is like, you know, I'm just not much of a reader, I don't get in my Bible, it's just not really a, a book type of person. Okay, repent. Well, you know, I'm really not, you know, I, I'm not into the whole song thing and worshiping God. But repent. Isn't that great the way God deals with us? He, didn't, he never coddles us, does he? Remember with Moses? He comes to Moses, he says, Moses, go and tell unto Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, well, I don't talk so good. And God doesn't go, oh, Moses, don't say that about yourself. No, you're a good talker. You can do it, buddy. No, Moses goes, he goes, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, I don't talk so good. And God's like, I know that. I'm going to be the one talking. He doesn't coddle us. That's pretty liberating. Because he's still the one calling us. He doesn't say, what, Moses, you thought I picked you because of your eloquence? No, I picked you because of my providential understanding and my perfection. Perfection. I'm going to do something bigger than you, through you. And that's the call he has on each of us. And so it's really kind of ridiculous when we come up and go, well, God, I can't. Well, God, you know I'm this way. God, you know I'm that way. It's like, no. You see, we're created in the image of God, which means we have the divine capacity to make a decision, to choose. We can choose. He tells us to choose, all throughout the scripture. And then because we were born in sin, we need to choose to change. Because we're not like Jesus yet. So we need to choose to change. And you know, the great thing is choosing to change is pretty much the definition of repent. So now, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how strong you are or sincere you are. In fact, it doesn't matter how smart you aren't, or strong you are not, or sincere you're not. You can repent. Everyone can repent. Why can we repent? Because Jesus made a way. You see, prior to Jesus, there was only one way, a broad way, a broad path that went unto destruction. It was a huge road, and it was the only road that we had an option for. And there's a sign above that road, and that road is called, I can't because I was born jacked up. That's the name of that road. And it was the only option we had. But then Jesus came and his blood washes away sin, and his death satisfies the punishment I deserve, and his resurrection blows the door off the grave. So now there's a new way, and there's a new gate, and it has a sign over it that says, I can through Christ. So there's two roads. I can't because I'm jacked up, and there's another one that's I can through Christ. Now that this option exists all the way through the grave... It's now no longer a matter of can or can't, gentlemen. It's a matter of will or won't. Will you or won't you? We all have the power to choose, therefore we all have the power to repent, therefore there is no excuse. Keller says it really well. Tim Keller has this great quote, and it goes like this, you are more wicked than you ever dared believe, and yet you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. This is the gospel. That is the gospel. That we were chosen. And, and the Bible tells us why. It says, we are the foolish. We are the weak. We are the despised. We're the chosen. For God chose the weak things to shame the strong and the foolish things to shame the wise and the rejected things and the things that are not to shame the things which are. So there's no more excuse. We don't have any room for a genetic fallacy. It doesn't matter how bad you were born and jacked up doesn't matter what excuse we've ever used to say, this is the reason why I can't obey God, why I can't go do the things he's called me to do, why I can't change, why I have to continue on in this sin that I've been, asked, been trying to get out of for so long. The only reason we stay in these things is because we continue to buy into a lie. We continue to buy into an excuse, an excuse that is a fallacy. You see, because of the death and the resurrection and the ruling reign of Christ... We can repent. He's given us that way. But we must choose to change. We must repent. We must dokimatsu. We must know and do. We must discover and find it out, and we must follow. We must observe what the Lord says, and then we must obey. We must peruse the text, and then we must pursue Christ. We must matzo. We must. Because if we will do that, then the world will understand the gospel, and we will understand the gospel, and we will live as a peculiar people in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but not as perverse and crooked Christians, but as supernaturally empowered men who live different than everyone else, who don't flake, who don't stop, then they'll have reason to be saved and will have reason to run faster. Um, so what does the text say? Dokimatsu. Know and do what is pleasing to the Lord. Why does God say it? that the world may know because they see it, that we may know because we've experienced it. How do we do it? We let go of our stupid excuses and we repent. Um, but then I thought about this. I, I'm always you know, I'm teaching kids and I'm always looking for stuff and I'm always trying to find stuff. I have a common place, a place where I gather up all kind of little pieces, parts, and, uh, and so I, put, I had a little pamphlet that I've been working on for a while. It wasn't for this. It was for something else. But then it dawned on me, uh, I called it The Art of Warrior, kind of a play on Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Um, um, but it's, I've gathered about, like, I don't know how many. I've gathered 78 practical things that you do. Now, these, most of these things, the vast majority of these things, I didn't find from Christians. I found out in the world, based on studies and stuff like that, but The great part about being a Christian is that I know where every good thing comes from. So when you hear something and it's true and it resonates with you, even if it's like a weirdo saying it, you're like, wait a minute, man, that's resonating inside of me. And you go back to look at the scripture and you go, hey, that's Bible. That fruitcake was saying Bible. And so I picked it up. And so there's lots of them in here right and it's all about on how to like wake up and how to overcome sin and how to live something noble how to eat how to change your life how to um make a a powerful plan um how to sleep um all kind of stuff in here and anyway so it's kind of like the practical parts of it nothing in here that's rocket science um but i had these and just by a show of hands because i printed some off i don't know if i print a who'd be interested in a copy okay i'll print a few more so, um, I'll print some more off. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do something that's really practical. Because okay, so what I like about this is it's not just, and there's a verse on every one. So there's, there's, a, there's a theology, but then there's a practic- practical use. I'm going to give you one right now. I'm going to go print off more of these. I'm going to have them out on a table. I'm going to have them on a the table, maybe out in front of Victor Marx's table, okay? Now, this is the thing. This is what I want you to do. Listen up. If I give this to you and you take it, it's going to end up on the floorboard of your truck because it t- costs you nothing. You see, that's a biblical principle. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing because we don't value things that we believe have no value. So now, if you don't have any money, that's fine. Take one. But I want you to read it. So I want you to have some vesting in it. By the way, it's not a man-sized book. It's a Bubba-sized book. Okay, so you could all read through the whole thing for real. Um... What I want you to do is, Victor Marx has a basket there for all the cool stuff he's doing with the kids. Put something in there. Uh, put enough in there that'll make you read the whole thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so you just, uh, the, uh, I mean, you, I don't want the money because it didn't cost me anything. It was the church printer. <laughs> so, um, but, but going ahead, but I do want you to read it. I don't want you just to take it and then use it to litter. So, um, take one. If you don't have any money, just take it. But if if you you know make it valuable to you, and then bless some of those kids, so throw some money over there. So that's like kind of a practical thing. Now let's come back to a closing on this. Repentance is not something you do once. It's not something that I did in '81. Repentance is the lifestyle of a Christian. It is humble obedience. And so a lot of times what happens is at the end of a sermon when like, the pastor gets ready to do the altar call, all of the experienced Christians um, start packing up their stuff. Start zoning out. Start tuning out. Oh, this is for those people. This is for the non-believers to repent. No, it's not. It's for the believers to repent. Only believers repent. Non-believers don't repent. Non-believers continue in their lostness. So it's kind of weird if the 90% of the people in the congregation when it comes time to repent go, oh, I don't need to. We're the ones supposed to be repenting most. Repentance is a lifestyle. God puts his finger on something, and if we do not make the commitment to say yes, Lord, and obey, if we don't dokimazo, then we just continue to live on the way I lived yesterday, and I don't know about you, but personally, I am not the embodiment and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in the flesh right now. I still have some changing to do. So we should be seeking out repentance. That's part of what dokimatsu is. It means to remember to analyze and to assay and to test and to prove. And to So the idea here is the first step in that is that when the Lord speaks, we need to be looking for repentance. Remember, David said, Lord, search me and try me and find and see if there is any wicked way within me. He's seeking out the opportunity to repent. He goes, God, I know I'm not there yet. I want to be here now. Every time we gather in the name of Christ, there should be an opportunity for us to repent very practically. um, Our wives are all praying desperately that it's going to get through our heads this time right, I don't know about, my wife is very kind of, you know, she's very, um, you know how women are subtle, and they use like subtle things to communicate like words, and so she pretty much just said, you are going to come back different, yes, (laughs) you're, right, you're going to, you're going to pay attention this time, you know, and so we should, we should be, we should be seeking out repentance always, so I want to make it real practical, um, what is it that the Lord's going to put His finger on you? What is it that you've got to repent of right now, so that the so that the world sees it tomorrow? So the world sees the gospel tomorrow. What have you got to repent? I I don't know. Is it pornography? Because you know Christians should never ever 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 look at pornography. Ever is it is it drinking is it smoking is it cussing is there something that you need to get rid of is there something that you're doing and you've made some kind of excuse like well this is the way you, you I don't even know I was cussing repent know it change it or is it something that you need to do that you haven't been doing is it like well you know I'm not in the word all the time because I'm busy 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 fallacy throw it out if you're too busy for God you're too busy repent is it that you need to be in the word every day? Does it mean that you need to actually go serve? The Lord's been putting it on your heart to go get involved in that ministry, but you're like, well, you know, I, can't, I can't, I'm a Gibson, and you know, we can't, I can't do that. Repent. So, just in a very, very practical term, this isn't about like getting saved for the first time or anything. This is about actually clearing the gunk out of our ears and listening to what God will say to us at this very instant. And when you know what it is that you've got to repent of, um, I'm just going to give you like, you know, 30, 60 seconds. And when you figure it out, um, stand up so that I know that like you figured out what it is that the Lord placed his finger upon in your life. Okay, so I'll we'll give you about 30 seconds. But when you know what that is, um, go on ahead and Stand. And for those of you who were in the Bahamas when I said that, and you're not sure why everybody's standing, if you remain sitting, it's going to make you look like a real noob. (laughs) Because what you're saying is, I am perfect. (laughs) Right? Okay, so I just didn't want anybody to be embarrassed going like, why is everybody standing? Okay, let's pray, gentlemen. Dear Heavenly Father, we heard you. We hear you. We have no excuse. If you call us, we do it. God, do whatever you've got to do inside of us. May we never shame your name. May we be different now from this point forward. Lord, we pray that you would move in us. We repent right now of the foolish excuse we've used for so long to keep us stalled at this level. We ask that you move us and blow us through this. We need your Holy Spirit And we thank you, Jesus, that you did everything on the cross. Our sin is paid for. Our sin has been judged. You have redeemed everything. And you have blown the door off the grave. And we now stand before a gate of eternal life. Lord, help us to live this really, really loud. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And then, and then, before you... I wanted to try something. I think I've got a minute. I've got a couple minutes. Okay. Remember when I said the whole thing with the, the alba-dugug-bra thing, with the, right? The, I was thinking before I came up here that we should do like the Christian version of it, right? And so the idea is like, I'll go like, doki-mazo, and then you guys, I'll go doki mazo, and it's doki, D-O-K-I, doki-mazo, M-A-D-Z-O. It means no truth, live truth. I think it should be kind of like the Christian call, doki mazo. And so, like, I was just wondering if you'd humor me and I'll go like, and I'll go, Dokimatsu, and then you yell, Dokimatsu. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, and don't, and don't yell it like a pagan. Yell it like a son of God. Okay, like no, no wussy. Dokimatsu. Nothing like that, okay? Okay, ready? Let's give it a shot. Here we go. Dokimatsu! 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 Oh, that rock. Thank you, gentlemen. You made my day.